Good afternoon and welcome to Vendor Vetting and Management in a COVID World, a health system CIO media in production sponsored by MediQuant. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO, and I'll be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You can use the Q&A box, send in your questions and comments at any time, and we'll take them later in the program. And we're going to do a little poll that we'd like to get you involved in. Uh, nice way to view the screen. A few things you want to do. Top center. Click on side, get that on side-by-side -side mode, then you can slide that divider in the middle to get the slides and the video boxes, the size you want them, and it should say speaker view in the top right-hand corner. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, first we're going to go about 35 or 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Joe Beam, Manager IT Operations at Centara Healthcare. Stephanie LeMay, Program Manager, Enterprise Data Archiving with Maine Medical Center, and Carrie Smallwood, Director, PMO at MediQuant, and then we will get to your questions. So let's jump right into our discussion. Joe, let's start with you. Can you give me an overview of your organization and your role? Sure, I sure can. Centera Healthcare is a health system that functions within the state of Virginia and also in North Carolina. Uh, there are 12 facilities total as a, that are a part of the Centera organization. And yesterday, we just announced that there is a merger that is occurring between Centera Healthcare and Cone Health Systems in North Carolina, which actually adds another five hospitals to the system. Uh, we have a total of 30,000 plus staff members over 3,200 providers, and there are over 300 ambulatory locations where we operate within, again, the state of Virginia and in North Carolina. My role, I, I have an IT operations manager position, but I'm also the program manager for the archiving strategy with Centera Healthcare. And I have been uh, operating as that program manager since we actually went through our selection process and selected Medicon as our vendor of choice. And I'll stop there right. for now. So big and just getting bigger, huh? As an organization. Yes. <laughs> Very good. All right, Stephanie. Good morning, afternoon, everyone. I'm Stephanie LeMay. I'm the program manager for Enterprise Data Archival uh, across Maine Health. Uh, Maine Health is a health system with 10 hospitals across central, Southern Maine and Eastern New Hampshire. Uh, we started our archival journey about two and a half years ago um, when I joined uh, into the role I'm in now. And we selected MediQuant as our vendor of choice. And we have about 70 legacy applications that we're trying to work through and archive our data. So we're going to have a very long road ahead of us, a very long relationship with MediQuant. Um, each of the 10 hospitals that I spoke of um, all had their own disparate systems. Um, everyone had their own EMR and own financial systems. So now that all of our, our hospitals have joined into the main health family, we're moving everyone to common solutions and those legacy applications all uh, need to be archived. So plenty of work to be done. You're not going to run out of work. No, not anytime soon. Very good. Uh, Carrie. Thank you. Um, we are Mediquant and we are headquartered in Brexville, Ohio. We have regional offices in Columbus, Ohio and in Chicago. We have just about 160 employees and we are serving clients, our healthcare systems and providers in states all across the country. Happy to be we're talking today with Joe and Stephanie. Um, we provide data archiving solutions and system transition data management services for hospitals and health systems, allowing them to take data from legacy systems as they've converted to new systems, uh, take data from legacy systems, um, clinical, patient accounting, and EMR, and put it in, just as Stephanie mentioned, a single source for that legacy data to live its life out. 
Very good. Well, we're going to have an interesting talk today. Um, and as the title suggests, we're going to talk a lot about working with vendors in, in the new world that we're in um, and how best to do that. And we'll talk about it from both sides, which would be very interesting. So, um, Stephanie, we're going to start with you on this question. Talk about sure. the transition from working with vendors both in person and remotely, mm -hmm. which is how everyone used to do it, to remote only, the positives and negatives and the most difficult part of the challenge. Sure. So we uh, we were in a position where when we started a relationship with Metaquant and, and started working on our archival journey, uh, Metaquant would very often send representatives to main help for us to do our discovery sessions. So as we were learning about a system, preparing to archive, we'd have that in-person interaction. And it was very, very valuable. Um, it, was, it was a nice personal touch that the folks that were archiving a system um, got to meet the representatives from Metaquant. We would you know, have a great conversation, learn about those systems. And that in-person interaction, I, I thought was, it was great. It was wonderful. We established a, a really good relationship. Um, we actually, before the, the everything changed, when, when COVID came into our world, we had actually started doing some of our discovery sessions remotely. And um, there was some apprehension. We didn't really know how that would feel. Would we get that same relationship, that same value? And we actually discovered that it, it worked just as well. Um, we had interactive sessions. Um, so our users at Maine Health had already become accustomed to kind of that remote interaction and, and doing those discovery sessions remotely. So I feel like that really helped us when we had to make the transition to doing everything remotely with our vendor. Um, we were in a, a much better position, I think, than most. And we've been very successful through the last six months of our journey. Um, our, our resources, uh, we've had resource constraints, which certainly have affected our project, but I, I do not feel that our interaction with Metaquant has been effective, affected in a negative way. Carrie, uh, what are your thoughts on the change? Um, obviously, you know, in your career, you've been working and inter interacting with customers in a particular way. Uh, have you, everyone develops their own recipe for success. You know, I like to do this. These are my steps. I have a meeting, whatever it is. So that's uh, maybe some of those steps have been taken away. Um, and we'll get into the differences between customers that you've, that you have going forward and new potential, which I think is totally different situation, but your thoughts on the question. So I think, I think to echo Stephanie's um, point, we have, over the course of the last several years, we have team members at Metaquant who are already regularly remote employees. Um, our, our main office folks have work, a work from home day every week. So for us organizationally to make the transition to remote work was really, we went from we were in the office on a Friday and we started working remotely, working from home on Monday. Um, we have, over the course of the last several years, um, we have changed those discoveries and kickoffs that Stephanie mentioned from on-site meetings to more remote meetings, um, really to be respectful of client time and resources. They have team members who are at separate facilities, ge geographic locations, sometimes not even to, to Joe's world, not even in the state. And in order for us to be effective, to be, make good use of their time, we've actually gone to kickoffs and discoveries that are more remote. Our implementation process in general has historically been a remote process. The work we do lends itself to being remote, um, keeping up through email regular status meetings, appropriate work sessions with our clients so that everyone's on the same page and they know what, what's taking place with their archival. Very good. Very good. Joe, what are your thoughts? Well, for us and our Centera process, we've actually been working remotely with Metaquant since we started the project, since its inception. And so for us, WebEx and GoToMeeting have been our friends and 
we're fairly geographically dispersed just within ourselves across IT, uh, but also from an operations perspective, um, our first phase of the project was for two hospital facilities and we were picking up the acute EMR plus several ambulatory EMR and practice management solutions as a part of that first phase of projects. So we were already geographically dispersed and we had to use WebEx and GoToMeeting to be able to get the right resources on for the discovery phase of the project. Uh, and as Carrie has said, and, and Stephanie as well, uh, having that on in-person, on-premise meeting, uh, you know, has some advantages, but we have actually been very successful in doing this work remotely. And throughout the project, once you've actually gotten through that discovery phase, then of course, it's about getting that data transitioned and transferred over to the MediQuant team for the next step in the process. And all of that is handled through a remote process anyway. We're either using secure FTP or encrypted drives. So the projects themselves have lended themselves very well to being able to use a remote process. All right, very good. Next question, Kerry, let's start with you. I would imagine that working remote only um, with a vendor you or with a, so for your perspective, be with a customer you've worked with in the past is easier than working with a new one. So, and I mentioned that in the last question, can you break that down, the, the challenges, I would imagine the greater challenges of working with a new customer without being able to do that sit down in a room? Right, so because we've had that transition um, on, and our work, particularly for the implementation team, has become remote work, um, one of the things that is key for us is to make sure we're establishing good relationships, that we're, we're putting communication in place at the very beginning of a project. When we have an opportunity to go on site and meet a client, you, you develop a relationship throughout the course of a day or several days. Um, when we started working with Joe and his team, we had to make sure that we were giving them everything that they needed to know as they were coming to us as a new client. We were mm -hmm. helping them understand what our implementation process was going to be, what our communication process would be, how we were going to help them have a successful implementation so that when they walked away from a meeting, they had confidence in next steps and that we were going to, to, you know, to Joe's point, get that data into data arc for them. Um, they would have confidence in that data and in our process as we repeat it with them. So that's a good point, Carrie. Um, even if you know what you're going to do and you know how everything's going to play out, you need to let the customer know because otherwise they're sitting there going, well, when is this going to happen? When is that going to happen? You might know it's going to happen next week, but if you haven't told them. They're sitting there getting nervous. And do I reach out? Do I not? You have an uncomfortable customer and you don't want that, right? That's it. That's absolutely true. And we have project team members coming in, subject matter experts on the client side, who may not have any experience with archiving. They've just gone through a conversion to a new EMR system. They've just gone through you know, a year or several years worth of work, and now they're sitting down and we're talking about archiving, and it, it's, it's brand new to them. We want to make sure that we're giving them everything that they need so they understand how our partnership is going to work. Very good. Joe, your thoughts on establishing a relationship with a new vendor in this new environment. Would you always traditionally have a face-to-face -face encounter and now you can't? Is, is there a new way you're thinking about getting comfortable with a new vendor? And it, a lot of that has to depend on the system that that vendor is supporting. Uh, again, we've been really successful with our archive project and just being able to manage it through a remote process. It's not to say that we haven't had MediQuant staff members come on site and visit with us. Uh, certainly we've had those, those discussions as well. But for most of our vendors, again, we are focusing more on remote process and making sure that the vendors have the access they need to be able to support us remotely. Uh, some of our systems, of course, in the hospital have to be supported on site because of hardware that exists. Let's say a nurse call system, for example. That's something that you have to be on site to support that. And in the case of an archive system, 
that is being housed in a data center and can be accessed from pretty much anywhere. We joke about the fact that we can work anywhere. We could work on the moon as long as we had power and, inter and an internet connection. Yeah, absolutely. Stephanie, what are your thoughts? Um, I would agree with both what Joe and, and Carrie said. Um, I think there are a lot of strengths with working remotely. Um, and these the, the vendors have done very, very well adapting to the remote work. Um, we, we've been very successful over the last six months or so as we've done 100% remote support um, for both our customers and with our vendors. Um, I, I think that even though we had that strong personal connection with Metaquant in the beginning, I still think our relationship would have been just as strong even if we had had um, a fully remote connection with them in the beginning. All right. Well, you got some fans here, Carrie. Sounds like you got some happy people. Uh, yeah, great all right. Yeah, very good. All right. Next question. Uh, Joe, let's start with you. What are the key characteristics of a vendor who will be a good remote only partner? And what are the characteristics of a vendor who will not? Uh, I wonder if these were, would always be the same of a, even before COVID. This is what makes a good partner or not. But maybe they're even more important now. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, again, a lot of it has to do with the system that that vendor is supporting. Uh, if it's a system that now resides in the cloud, obviously, if the vendor is supporting that, uh, they have to have remote access to the hosting location, wherever that may be. So they have to be able to access it remotely. Uh, again, systems that are in-house, uh, really, you've got to look at, look at your support model uh, what the equipment is that they're supporting the application and are they able to, how much of that can they actually manage from a remote process? Um, again, if you're having to lay hands on nurse call equipment, a, pa a, a patient pillow speaker that sits in the room, that's not something you can do remotely, but you need a vendor who actually is responsive in those cases because that is something that does touch patient care that's an immediate need from the patient's perspective. And if your vendor uh, isn't able to respond and help you when you need it, uh, then you're going to have a lot more access and a lot more support that you're gonna to have to provide as an IT organization uh, for those systems. Uh, Stephanie, your thoughts? Yeah, so I think uh, strong, detailed communications are really the key to having a good relationship with a vendor who is remote only. Um, I know uh, my interactions with Metaquant, I, I meet weekly with my project manager. Um, we, we go through a process every week to talk about what our outstanding items are, um, areas where we have concern. Those strong, detailed communications really are key to having that good relationship. Um, another item that I think is very important, um, and it's, it's sort of hard to describe, so I hope you follow me here, is having people on both the vendor side and the client side that can pick up on kind of some of those nonverbals. Um, when you have someone in a room with you and you're interacting, you can tell if there's some unease by the look on their face or the body language. When you're interacting remotely, sometimes it's hard to really pick up on some of those concerns or apprehension. I think for me, uh, you know, I'm, I'm talking with the customers or the SMEs out at these various sites. We're working on their systems to get them archived. I am responsible for picking up on any apprehension or concerns they may have, and I need to be able to communicate that to my project manager at Metaquant. Um, so knowing kind of the, the absence of that body language or those facial expressions that you don't get necessarily to see when you're interacting remotely, I think that's very important. Um, and I think Metaquant does that well. They hear our concerns or they, they pick up on some of our concerns, um, but it's also the responsibility of, of those project managers and program managers on both sides to be looking out for that. Yeah, that's a great point, Stephanie. And if, if I wonder as, as the service consumer, as the customer, if we need to going forward, uh, not hope somebody picks up on subtle clothes, right? We mm -hmm. have to be clear. 
Because if we don't have that interaction, if somebody can't not get an opportunity to notice those things, we can't hope they do, right? We have to be clearer and just express. I wonder if that's part of what would be helpful in the new environment. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I would. I would agree. Yeah, communication, clarity, all that kind of stuff is going to be helpful. Uh, Carrie, your thoughts? Sure, I, I think that's absolutely true, and I think, you know, certainly I agree with, with Stephanie and Joe. I think one of the things that it's important for, for Metaquant to do as a vendor or any vendor to, to be flexible, to understand that we need to pay attention to the client's time, to their resources, you know, referencing back that a lot of the resources we work with on an implementation subject matter experts, our tech, the client technical teams, those are folks who are working on the archive as on other duties as assigned project maybe. They've, mm -hmm. still got, they've still got their day jobs, and a lot of them have just been through the significant effort of a conversion to a new EMR, to a new patient accounting system. And so we need to be respectful of their time, of their resources, and make sure we're using those resources wisely. We're being responsible as their partner. That's a, that's a great point as well, Carrie, is that, you know, uh, what you had expected clients to be able to achieve in the old world based on them sort of being able to be at work or, or working without being interrupted, we all have to understand that there's kids at home, that are, there's homeschooling going on, there's all kinds of uh, disruptions that can happen. So maybe we just, like you said, be, be a little more flexible and understanding, both of our employees, our customers, everybody, right? Maybe yeah, even our vendors too, too right? Every, everybody needs a little understanding. So very good points, very good points. All right, next uh, question, uh, Stephanie. In the past, did in-person meetings serve to aid in resolving difficult customer and vendor issues, and how are those handled today. So did you find those in the past to be sometimes the only or the best way to get past a certain point? Like, no, no, we're not, we're done with the phone. We're done with email. Mm -hmm. I need you guys to come in because I need to get three or four other people around this table and I need yeah. three or four people from your, and maybe even I need three or four people from another vendor because mm -hmm. of the way everything's set up. We all have to get in a room. So that's gone. That's not happening right now. Um, so your thoughts on the question. So I think there are always situations, um, unfortunately, sometimes those are difficult situations where having that in-person face-to-face interaction is, is really important. Um, I have been blessed with not having to sit through a lot of those conversations. Yeah. <laughs> I know leaders very often do. Um, I think those in-person meetings, yes, they were very important. Um, I think that we've all sort of embraced or understand our new world. And the fact that if we did have a very difficult situation, um, we're not going to be able to pick up the phone and say, okay, Carrie, um, we have a really big problem and, and we need Metaquant to land at, at Maine Health next week. Um, that's, that's not gonna happen right now. Um, I think everyone has that, as we said in, in our last question topic, um, understanding. We all understand that things are different now um, and we're having conference calls instead or you know, video chats if we need to. So it's, it's that flexibility and understanding. Um, yes, those in-person meetings did help, but we're all adapting. Yeah, yeah. Joe, you know, I was thinking about this before. So I do think there's a huge difference between um, texting, email communication and voice. Right. I think there's a huge difference there between sort of asynchronous texting and voice where we get to talk back and forth and work on an issue. And you've seen those emails going around where you're like, well, could you people just get on the phone. Right. You're misunderstanding each other or there's 11 issues you're trying to to, to deal with here. Um, so I see that as a big difference, written versus verbal. But I could see how at least you're on the phone or on a, on a session like this that can get you a long way and, and maybe you don't need to be in person. Yeah, that's certainly been that uh, we have had to work with our operational teams on 
because they are very much used to being able to go and see the person who's working with them in the facility. And so uh, going into the project, certainly there was a, a, an expectation, especially for the hospital-based acute EMRs, where we were gonna actually be physically on site every day during the archive process. And so as Stephanie mentioned, as you're working through the issues in the project, uh, what we really transitioned to and helped the organization and operational teams adjust to is being able to get on a conference line or a WebEx uh, and making sure we can get all of the players on that, that conference yeah. so that they can speak and speak to the issues that they're having uh, so that we can get them resolved. So that includes the vendor as well as the subject matter experts who are actually working with us on data validation, uh, as well as their leadership who are trying to understand what is this system gonna look like when we get it over and into the archive. Uh, so yeah, that's that's something we've certainly been working on and, and had to help our organization transition through. But uh, at this stage, it's it's becoming much more second nature. Yeah, that's right. Settling in, <coughs> excuse me. All right, Joe, let's stick with you on the next question. Talk specifically about data archiving, archiving and application sunsetting projects in this new world. If you want to go over a little bit more your, your current projects and how going remote has affected them and your advice for folks that are in the middle of these type of projects. Okay, so um, we have done, we are working on our second Meditech uh, acute EMR system. That system is for one of the facilities in North Carolina. And uh, so we've done two of those now. The second one has certainly become a lot easier because we established our standards in the first, with the first phase and the first project uh, for our acute EMRs. So we plowed the ground in that in that time frame. So now we're doing the second Meditech, which is again we understand the system, we work with it, we have a much better feel for uh, what to expect and how things should look. Uh, with, having said that, there are nuances with each of those. So. Uh, we've done Meditech systems where we have done a Cerner acute EMR system, and that was a Millennium product, uh, which was a first for both the Cerner team as well as the Metaquant team. And we've done several ambulatory EMRs, including a Greenway and NextGen and ECW. Uh, we're working on a GE Groupcast system right now, and Allscripts EMR. Uh, so we've done a wide variety of systems in the projects we've worked on. We've done a PISIS OR manager, a PACU manager system, and uh, we're also working right now on a SunQuest blood bank system. So we have uh, managed all of those remotely, and we've had a mix of projects where we have actually provided the data extraction and transferred that over to Metaquant, and then they have also been working with us and they have done extractions for a number of these projects. So we've had uh, really a mixed bag of, of process relative to our data extraction and migration. Um, so one of the things that I would say about uh, the remote process, again, because we have been using that since our project started, We've not had a lot of hurdles with that other than, again, as you're shipping data back and forth when you're using encrypted drive technology, uh, sometimes the, the shipping process, again, if you have, uh, depending on the vendor you're working with, if they're having to provide some of that data, you just have to allow the time in the project schedule to be able to manage that drive shipment time and, and the time for getting that data loaded or, or offloaded as the case may be. Uh, so that's something that uh, you have to account for in your project schedule. Uh, so that's one of the things that I would say that as far as advice goes, uh, one of the things that we have been working on with the Metaquant team is uh, just better methods of being able to project our timeline for the projects mm -hmm. and uh, accounting for those times when we're actually having to rely on a third party. Maybe it's the actual system vendor uh, who's providing that data extraction. And uh, any time that we have been able to manage that either ourselves or with the Metaquant team, I'll say that uh, we're, we have a better comfort level at this stage about being able to predict the timeline relative to that. 
uh, when you got to go to the vendor and you're working with them, then that becomes a bit more precarious. And so you want to make sure you account for that in your overall project schedule. Excellent, Joe. Thank you. Um, Stephanie? Sure. So we're in the process of archiving six different instances of MetaTAC um, that were used across those multiple member sites that I talked about in the beginning of our presentation. Um, we're at various different phases with those, uh, those MetaTAC instances. Um, we have some that are 99% done and then we have some that, are, that we're just starting. Um, we've also done some document storage projects with MetaQuant where we've brought um, PDF documents to them and asked that they be stored in DataArc. Um, we're working through a MISIS Allscripts uh, EMR and practice management system. Um, and very shortly, we will be starting um, our ECW instances, which we have about 15 across Maine Health. So we have a variety of projects that are either underway or about to kick off with, with MetaQuant. Um, I think really for us, uh, the, the transition to remote and, and how things are going, it's really not been that impactful to us. Um, as Joe mentioned, you know, sometimes the logistics of getting a drive to a server to have data put on it and then shipped back, there's maybe a little bit more complexity there. Um, but even though IT staff across Maine Health has been working remotely since uh, about March, we still have uh, staff that are on site at each of the hospitals to be able to actually hook that drive to a server and a data center if needed. So um, thankfully, we've still had the support that we needed um, in the event that we did physically need someone at the site. Um, I think really, I would just echo again about strong communication. I think that's one of the biggest keys to the new way of doing things and working through our archive projects. Um, not only was IT staff working remotely, but a lot of the subject matter experts, if they were not uh, direct care staff, they were working remotely as well. So you know, we had to make sure that everyone who was working through validation could get to both the legacy system and uh, get to DataArc to complete their validation. Um, if someone needed a report that might have been in an office, you know, we had to make accommodations for that and give them time to go get that. Um, so uh, just understanding communication and just expecting that some things may take a little bit longer um, from a logistical perspective. Excellent, excellent. Carrie, your thoughts? Sure. I think I think those are those are very valid points. I can't echo enough the strong communication between all of our teams, um, making sure that we've all got the same set of information. We're all working. Um, with clear deliverables, with with clear with clear dates, mm -hmm. um, with the understanding that what we're doing this week impacts the work that we're all doing two months from now or six months from now, and that we're working toward those goals together. Um, we have been incredibly fortunate. Um, like I said, we we moved seamlessly from a Friday to a Monday in terms of remote work. And our IT team continues to provide day-to-day um, -day support, getting out, when we talk about those encrypted drives, getting them out to the clients, getting them back, making sure that the data is appropriately managed um, as it arrives to the data center. So just a little heightening of all of the things that we would have normally done during the time when everyone is remote. We don't want, we don't want to, to create a gap where there previously was none. Yeah, Carrie, it's, uh, so from what I'm hearing everybody talk about is communication. I'm also hearing a lot on timelines, on uh, understanding, having, re it sounds like having realistic timelines. Um, have you ever had to push back on customers expecting timelines that are just not realistic and too aggressive because you don't want to set yourself up for failure? So what we want to do, that's, that's a great question, is we want to make sure as we start work with the client that we understand what their organizational needs are. Um, there are absolutely times when a client has not yet realized, this is where that, that communication is key, they've not yet realized that there's gonna be subject matter expertise, there are gonna be ITT members that are involved, and they may think, hey, I have these seven projects that I can start today, we're gonna run them all concurrently, but they may have those the staff for those seven projects 
same folks on project after project. And we have to be aware that we're taking those resources, right? We're looking at those timelines, trying to be respectful again of their resources, of the dollars that they're investing, of the systems they're trying to come off of, but it's about that communication of sitting down and saying, let's talk through what this timeline looks like. Do you have times when you have, if it's a, if it's a client working on an epic upgrade, team members are going to come away. They're going to need to be responsible for that live system upgrade. We need to account for that as we're walking through timelines. We need to be open and honest and say, that's going to be a huge drain on your resources. Let's not put either of these projects at risk. Very good. Very good advice. Okay. Uh, next question. Let's start with Stephanie on this. We have heard many health system executives say that only projects with concrete ROI are getting approved. Do archiving projects fall under that category? I would say yes and no. Um, so I, I think everyone is is feeling some strain financially um, with the impact of COVID-19 and how many health systems had to you know, delay elective procedures and close offices to keep their staff and their patients protected. So I, I know from our perspective at Maine Health, we had to make some tough choices about where we would invest our capital in both next year and even you know, years out. So um, archiving is important and our leadership does see the value to archiving. So it's, it's a case where we are still continuing our archive project, but maybe not as aggressively as we would have done. Um, we also take a hard look at applications that have a very high operating cost um, compared to their operating costs. So let's say, for example, a solution that we're using costs $25,000 a month in support, but to archive that solution, it only costs $50,000. So in two months of support costs, we could archive this solution. So that's a very real return on investment for our leadership. And they see that and they understand that our costs will be far less over the course of a year if we archive this application rather than keep it up and running. Um, and that's just hard costs, not including costs like, you know, whether that server needs new hardware or, you know, the FTEs that are currently supporting that system, um, risks that we may have from, you know, an operating system perspective. It's running on an old version of Windows. So there's lots of other things kind of behind the scenes that may not be true operating expenses as far as dollars and cents go on an invoice each month that really um, you know help leadership make this decision so i think being able to present our leadership and and say that we do have roi and being able to show that really does help to keep archiving kind of up in the priority list very good carrie sure i that's that's absolutely the case you know when we talk about um, cost savings for an organization, particularly in the uncommon times that, that we're faced with today, over the course of time, um, those cost savings add up for an organization. And when folks have had to reallocate team members from offices to frontline to help with registration, those types of things, anything that allows them to continue cost containment, to continue optimizing their dollars is certainly a worthwhile investment over the course of if a, if a client is saving two million dollars we have some we have a couple clients who year over year save two million dollars in those legacy system archive um, support costs and as they move to archiving those dollars are dollars that they're able over the course of time to reallocate within their organization that allows them to continue to have access to their legacy data on clinical ERP or patient accounting, but it also allows them to use those dollars in a way that's more effective for their organization. Very good, Joe. I was just gonna say, I think Stephanie and I are using the same checklist and spreadsheet to calculate that ROI 
and to figure out which one of these systems actually fit the bill because that's something that we I'm going through with every project that we are doing. Uh, and again, as an organization, things have really changed since since March because of the impact on cost that COVID has had for the Centera organization. Uh, however, we are still moving forward with our archive projects because we've been able to show where we're going to have that return on those projects based on support costs and maintenance, uh, as well as our resource costs in, in staffing. So as we've been able to prove that uh, out for each of those projects, that's what has allowed us to prioritize those projects and keep them moving forward. So it definitely, the archive projects do fall under that, that category of having to show that ROI. Very good. All right. I want to, I want to, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Carrie. Yeah, go ahead. yeah sure. One of, one of the things, you know, Stephanie's team um, at Maine Health and Joe at Centera, they've been moving forward. We've certainly had clients who have either had to hold off on work entirely or have had to reprioritize. And that's where that key communication comes into place when a team comes back to us and says, we've been working on this STAR patient accounting project, but that's not our priority today. We need to adjust and move to ECW or move to a medical record that is really going to be able to show that return on investment for leadership. We've had opportunity then to reprioritize collaboratively with the client so that we're able to put those projects in line in a way that is effective for them. Very good. All right, we're going to open up our audience poll, which uh, our panelists can answer as well. Selecting a new vendor is much harder without any in-person interaction. Look at that word, much. So a little harder, you can disagree, but do you agree that it's much harder? So if everybody wants to take a moment and answer that, and then we will have our panelists guess at the results, which is always a lot of fun. Uh, I am going to, let's quickly go back to this question. I do want to, want to, I'm curious about this. So Joe, um, you may have mentioned this before. Are anyone allowed on site yet or certain circumstances or, or how's that working? Yes, for us, it really is depending on, on the system and, uh, the support that's needed. Again, there are a number of vendors who are coming on site to work with us on systems that have equipment in-house and uh, they require maintenance or we're working through an upgrade process. So yes, definitely we have vendors back on site. There was a blackout period where we weren't allowing vendors on site uh, and then it opened up gradually where they had a restricted entrance process and, and we also had a chaperone for them as they were moving without, throughout the building, uh, throughout the facility, but definitely uh, there was a restriction there in the blackout period, but now we are allowing them back on site. And I think that everyone's adjusted now to what the expectations are uh, of the vendors when they are on site. So uh, yes, we're allowing them and we do expect to in the future. And it's all about the systems that they're supporting. Obviously something that's running in a cloud and setting or setting in an Equinix data center uh, doesn't require the vendor to be within the building. So Again, it's really going to be subject matter related. Stephanie? It's the same for Maine Health. Um, it definitely depends on the reason that they're coming on site, um, but much of our vendor interaction has trans transferred over to remote work. Um, there are certainly things where you cannot have, uh, like Joe mentioned, you know, supporting the nurse call system or interacting with a piece of hardware that, that is physically in the building um, that definitely requires someone to, uh, to come on site. But um, I, I think what this has shown us is ways to be productive without having people uh, physically be there. Um, we've, we've all gotten creative. Um, we've found ways to do things that we, we maybe didn't do before. Um, I, I actually saw a, a case at Maine Health where, you know, people were FaceTiming with their cell phones and, and looking at something together um, where we would have expected a, a vendor to be 
in person and um, you know they're interacting. So we've gotten creative. Um, we do have uh, many policies and procedures in place for vendors that are coming on site. You know, there's much like if you were to go to your doctor's office, they're they're going to have to complete a health screening. You know, are you feeling well today? Do you have a cough? Um, anyone, employees, vendors are expected to complete that screening before entering a facility. Very good, Carrie. Um, so I've heard from other vendors that sometimes you have a customer who wants you to come on site and you don't really need to be on site. And sometimes the vendor has policies that say, no, we're not going on site yet. Uh, so it can go both ways. You can have customers asking you to come when you're not comfortable. Uh, you can have vendors that are, try or want are eager to come on site when the customer is not comfortable. So you have all sorts of issues here. What are you seeing? So we're, we're primarily, we've remained remote. We're certainly listening to our clients, our prospective clients, um, hearing what their needs are, but we're also remembering that as we are working with clients across the country, um, we have to be aware of guidelines for their state, for their organization, mm -hmm. and you know, at this point, certainly any travel is, is on a case-by-case -case basis. Yeah, I was told uh, one organization said, well, you can go, but only if you can drive. You can't go in a plane. So they're letting their people go. When that, that there's obviously a distance concern there, unless you're going to drive 48 hours in the car, but they're not allowed to stay at hotels. So we were joking that you have to sleep in the car. There was all kinds they of, all kinds of crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, let's go back to the poll. So um, before I share the results, I'm going to have our panelists guess. So what percentage of people agree with this question that selecting a new vendor is much harder without in-person interaction? Joe? 80% agree. 80% agree. Okay. Stephanie, what percentage agree? Uh, I think it's going to be lower. I, I think uh, 40. 40%. All right, Carrie, what do you got? So I'm going I'm to jump to the middle there, and I'm going to say it's about 55%. 55, well, our prize, Anthony. I got it. Uh, our, our clear winner here is Stephanie, Woo! and it's even lower, 30, 33%. <laughs> only 33% agree that it's much harder without in-person interaction. So that is quite interesting. Joe, you're fired. You're not even close. <laughs> Peace. All right, very good. Very good. All right. Um, just a few more minutes. Let me sneak in one question here, and I'm going to go to the Ask a Co-Panelist, and I'm going to give Carrie an opportunity to ask uh, her co-panelist a question. Carrie? That's, that's a great opportunity, and, and I'm going to put Joe on the spot. Um, uh -oh. A couple years ago, um, not, not long after we started our work with, with the team there at Centera, we realized that we needed to, to go down a road of being much more respectful of the client's time, of their resources time. And we made a change from a project by project status meeting every week to an enterprise status meeting every week where our project management team and Joe and his team sit down and talk through what's going on during the week, what do we need to do next. And Joe was in a very agreeable pilot client as we started moving to a model that allowed us to talk about more and take up less time. Um, we're continuing to do that with more clients. Um, tell us, Joe, um, how that's worked out for your team and what we could do better. Well, much like Stephanie and, and you've mentioned before in the, on this call, Carrie, uh, certainly communication is key. And one of the things that that enterprise discussion and that weekly call helps us with is just keeping our finger on the pulse of the individual projects while keeping the overall enterprise plan uh, in mind and in our view of those projects. So it has really been helpful uh, for us. And again, with the need for communication because we are not uh, sitting in the room at, every day, all day long with each other, that has really been a, 
a, a great win for us, both our organizations, I think, because it gives us a much, much better feel uh, for where we are with the individual projects as well as the project overall and also allows us to communicate the issues that have come up uh, over the course of that week or that time period so that we can get those issues on the table, uh, discuss them, and then also talk about how we're gonna resolve them over the coming week. Stephanie, you, you wanna, is that appropriate for Stephanie as well, Carrie? It, it goes down that path. I know we've changed the model that we, we use for status meetings and check-ins with her team as well. Um, we'd love to hear what she thinks. Yeah, so I've actually uh, I've been fortunate that I've, I've always been in the, the situation of an enterprise type um, status meeting. And I think one of the great things about that is it gives us an opportunity we can talk about a specific project if we need to, but if everything's going really well with a specific project, we don't need to take the time to talk about that one. It also allows us to kind of talk a little bit about some of the maybe foundational or technical things that are happening behind the scenes that are not project specific, but really just kind of more uh, main health metaquant relationship specific. Um, so it's worked very, very well for us. And, you know, I appreciate the flexibility that if any time we need to have a call dedicated just to one project, we can do that and pull in those SMEs or, you know, the technical folks that might be applicable just to that project. So I think it's been very, um, it's been very productive from a time perspective and it's, it's working well for Maine Health. Well, Carrie, I think that's a, a really great uh, philosophy and and objective uh, and I try and do the same thing here um, to not not put anything more on the client than you have to and always to be extremely considerate of their time and efficient with how you interact so I think that's a great change and it sounds like it's it's popular with the customers um, that is about all we had time for today so what a really great conversation um, at a high level, talking about the general trends of, of working with vendors remotely and then getting into some of the specific archiving stuff. Uh, I think it was really valuable. So, appreciate it. Regarding continuing education, there's a final slide in this deck you can use for your CEU needs. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording of this event is ready. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy from our team and you can go to our website to register for our upcoming webinars. With that, I want to thank our Tremendous panel, Joe Beam, Stephanie LeMay, Carrie Smallwood. I want to thank MetaQuant for sponsoring today. And I want to thank you, our attendees, for joining. With that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you.